0: Richard, I said, rivers of water. There's a song I, when I sat down here this morning just a few minutes ago, this uh, the song came to me, and I'll just uh, read some of the words. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness, and light. And that's where we all start in bondage, sorrow, and night. Where we were in darkness. Then he he goes on and he says, out of my shameful failure and loss, into the glorious gain of the cross. And the cross is quite a gain. People look at it and they say, it's death. But, It is quite an abundance if we move in that way, as we know. Out of unrest and arrogant pride, into thy blessed will to abide. Out of myself to dwell in thy love, out of despair into raptures above. And mankind is in a bad way. Many people are in a bad way. You run into people, I'm sure we all do when we're out there and You know, I've been praying recently for certain people. The Lord's gotten me up early in the morning, and I just lay there and pray for certain people that salvation would come to them. And then, of course, people hear that the Lord lays on my heart. But I look out here today, and sometimes I think about this, you know, the grace represented here is quite something. Uh, the grace that came from God to you and I is quite something. And I remember a few years back, uh, I was up front here with Jim, and I looked back, and he saw Tom McGowan, and I turned around and looked, and there he was in the vestibule, <laughs> and he was in a bad way. And I went back and talked with him for a while and, and prayed with him, and he was crying, and he was just in bad shape. And how the grace of God comes to us. You know, where we were. You know, the the condition that we were in. And the ministry of the grace of God to us, for me personally, initially, I it's funny, sometimes the Lord brings me back to the very first time I heard the gospel. And I think. What if I would have rejected what I heard then? Where would I be today? And so we all here are representative of that grace that God has given. And I want to look, begin anyway, in 2 Corinthians. I actually want to talk about being brought into fullness. That's one of the designs of God in In what I see in the scripture, certain things moving and so forth, you know, the Lord does certain things and there is to be an effect on us and then there's to be an effect, an end result. And many times we come in and we don't see, I'm I'm talking about here, we don't see, but initially when we come to the Lord, we... Our eyes were open, but we really don't see very much. Uh, You know, all we know is what the Lord shows us right then. The Lord spoke to me. It was the first time, and it was so loud and clear that I actually got up and said something out loud. That's the impact of the word of God that, that first came to me. And I I just lifted up my my head and my voice and and spoke to God because he spoke to me. And the grace of God is quite, quite something. And in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul makes this statement. And this can be true and it can be untrue as far as our personal life and walk. He says... We then as workers together with him, we can be workers together with him uh, or we can be a hindrance to him. And we all have been both. Hopefully that when we have been a hindrance to the work of God or the word of God for us personally, of course, he is very gracious and he is gentle and he's kind and he will work with us that he would bring us out from that condition, that stiff-neckedness, whatever you want to call it, and be able to affect us again. So he says here, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And so we have received, as I said, the grace of God, but yet... Grace, see, is to bring us into a spiritual condition. It is to influence our heart. See, the character of grace is to affect the character of man. And the Lord has made it so. So that if my character is being affected... That is the grace of God to me. I become a recipient of that, and there is an effect. There is a result that comes from that. So I can also shun the influence of grace upon my heart. And that would mainly be if the Lord is showing me something, or you, or whoever, and We're not too keen on what he's showing us, and we're not too interested in even hearing that, and we can deny it and so forth, and we're not quite moving in whatever it may be. And so that grace that is to have an effect on me personally now does not influence me in the way that it should, or it may not influence me at all. And so the result of receiving that grace in vain is that now the effect of that, or the result of that, is not what the Lord is going to want. See, he's, He wants fullness in our lives. And so His grace, it just doesn't come to take you to heaven. <laughs> That's a result, yes. But the grace of God is much, much more than that. It is to bring us along, and it is to, in spirit, bring us into something. Sometimes I think, no, you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes I don't like teaching. I don't want to teach. Like I've taught enough, if you know what I'm saying. I've said enough. Lord, let's go work some of these things into my life. You know, not just teach them. And the Lord knows, he knows my heart. He knows what I truly desire. And he has to work out the path for me. He's got to show me the steps to take for me personally as he does you. Or I will never make it to a fullness that God wants for my life. You will never make it. Uh, You know, it's, it's a personal thing it's the personal call, personal will of God uh, for you. Now, in verse 14, so he starts off in verse 1 talking about the grace of God. In verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together uh, with unbelievers. Now, this unequally yoked uh, together, that's actually three English words portraying one Greek word, and that is a present tense. So it's present active participle. So what that means is that presently, actively moving in a continual thing. So it's being yoked together, unequally yoked together. And so that means that there is a partnership being In a different yoke is another meaning. A different yoke from what? Well, hold your place there and go to Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, come unto me or come to me. Well, that's the first step. That's always the first step. And I'm not talking about just initial salvation. I'm talking about, you know, for us personally, that is always a first step. He, he comes in a certain way to us through his word or whatever. And in that, he says, come unto me, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, laden and I will give you rest. You won't find rest in this or that or things or, or people or whatever. You will only find what you need in him. He says, take my yoke, or you could say, take my will or take God's will upon you or unto you and learn of me or learn from me. And by the way, when this word here from is is talking about a separation. See, we cannot learn from the Lord what he really wants to teach us unless in our inner man. And I'm going to stress this. In our inner man, there is a separation. And the separation is always determined by the Spirit of God. Now, you know that you can be around people, but that does not mean that we are to be as they are. Or in our inner man, we partake in the sin or whatever it may be that they are in. So take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am gentle. He's gentle in spirit. And I am lowly in heart. And lowly means that you do not come too far from the ground. You're very close to the ground. You don't raise up from the ground much. But Jesus is there. That's, that's his dwelling place. He's, just, he's right there. And if we are going to learn of him... We are going to have to be where he is, or or put it this way, we are going to have to be brought down. We are going to have to be brought to a place where we can learn what Jesus knows to some degree. Experience-wise, whatever, some revelation that you have, uh, some process that we go through where the Lord brings us down and we learn something there. And one of the things we'll learn is that we need to stay there, because that's the safe place. So you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And the word easy means useful. And it also carries this thought of virtue. So his, his yoke is good. It will bring a virtue, a quality to you in your inner man. So that, you know, there's a purpose for us being yoked together with Jesus. So now go, now go back to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. So do not be unequally yoked. Don't be yoked in a different yoke. For the most part, Christians, most Christians want to serve God. They want to walk with God. Or maybe I should say they want to serve God. Because you know serving in works is good, but the church to me, seems to be more geared toward I'm talking about you know, the um, universal church seems to be more geared to being yoked in works than being yoked with Him. And what I mean by that is walking with God. So works can be one thing. It can be easy maybe to go and do something for God. I'll go down and serve people that are homeless. That's something that we may derive some satisfaction from. But that can be different than walking with God in the place that he wants us to walk in. Because walking with God is not going to be pleasing and gratifying at all to our flesh or our natural man at all, period. So there can be a difference between the two. So he says, don't be yoked with unbelievers or with, um, yeah, with unbelievers for what fellowship? And that, that's a key word there, fellowship. A fellowship is you know a coming together here where there is a intertwining between two or a group. So he says, For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness or unrighteousness? And what communion has light with darkness? There is none. Light dispels darkness, and they, they, there's no common bonding between them. You know, light comes, the darkness goes, it dispels. It's, it's There's nothing there. There's no linking. There's no yoking there. And what accord or what agreement has Christ with Belial or the enemy of your soul, the devil, anything that he brings forth to man? What what agreement is there between that? Uh, Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with? Uh, with idols, and this, the word with is a preposition, it's a meta, it means motion toward. So uh, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, I can have motion toward someone, I have an affection for them, and there is something in me that moves toward them. See, there's a motion in my heart toward them. This is what he's talking about, that there is not to be this motion or agreement with the temple of God, for you are the temple of God, and idols, that which is placed before God, anything. There is not to be a motion from our heart toward that. For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them. I'll come to that in a minute. Let's just hold our place there and go to John 6. When you read the Gospels, you know, especially John, and you see some of the things that Jesus says and some of the things that Jesus does are quite shocking to the natural man. The things he said really aroused anger in the Jews. And He did that because the Jews were holding on to tradition and holding on to religion and holding on to letter rather than allowing that which is written to become spirit to them, become life to them. So they they dwelled in this surface thing that did not bring any life. So Jesus would get in there and he would shake that thing. But he says something here in John 6. Verse 56. He he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there is to be in spirit a digesting. And the digesting brings about a union. You, You eat my flesh, you drink my blood. You're taking that. And whenever you eat and drink something, what happens? There's a digestion. And so that digestion in the, in the natural is going to bring strength, but that the food now is united with your body. becomes It's changed. So unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's a digestion. You will not have this union that the Lord desires for us to have, this, this yoking uh, that he says. And he says here, he uses the word uh, abides in me and I in him. See, so there there becomes that. That's the union. That's what I wanted to point out. So even in the natural, people that aspire to proper healthy eating, you know, healthy diet and, and so forth. You'll hear this phrase frequently that you are what you eat. And in the natural, we know that. I mean, if you're eating junk all the time, it's going to affect your being, your physical being. And, I mean, that's, that's a, a given. We know that. But in spirit, also, we are what we eat, so that if we are digesting what we are to be digesting, then we become healthy, we become what the Lord desires for us to become as Christians, and then in verse 57, as the li- living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. So Jesus here is comparing his relationship with the Father and then our relationship with him, what it should be. So, see, he, he fed upon the Father Okay, he, his father came and made his abode with him. I do always what I see the, my father do. And he's comparing us, our relationship, what it should be with, with him and us. He's comparing that to him and the father. So there's, there's no, I don't want to say there's no limit, but there, the, the limits are way out there. What can happen with you as far as the Lord in your life? And as far as him bringing you into greater uh, riches or fullness in him, you know, if we're going to digest, if we're going to take in what he brings, then that is going to affect us, and there's going to be something that occurs now, and hopefully that is an ongoing thing in our life, and there is the desired effect later on. Now, the later effect is not just... Revelation of something. The effect is to be relationship, and it is to be an inner quality that you have. Uh, I I would rather have inner quality with the Lord than revelation, but he actually ordains revelation to bring us into that. I mean, if we didn't have the revelation of the spirit, he says the spirit and life, he is spirit and life. If we didn't have that and have, have a revelation of that, we could never move into a full, more full place. But see, revelation and understanding and wisdom and knowledge in and of itself is not an end of its, in and of itself, it's not an end. It's to bring us into fullness. So understanding and knowing and revelation is good as long as it doesn't become in our self, in our mind, an end. See, that's not an end. It's to bring us on in him. And so back in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, well, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. Now, whenever you came to Christ, he dwells in you. He dwelt in you. He came to you. We know that. We understand that. But how does he walk in you? Well, in the same manner he came into you, he will walk in you. So that if we are directing our steps aright, like the psalmist says, we are walking with God you know, in, in what he is bringing to us and showing us, and we're, we're faithful in whatever that may be in our lives, then he is walking in us because now... Uh, he, we become an extension of him. We become an extension of his spirit to help and touch the lives of other people. See, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them. But if we are yoked with unbelievers or we are, are, are not in the yoke that we should be with the Lord, and we're going to move in into fellowship with other people that aren't believers then he cannot, even though he may be in us, he cannot walk in us. So he becomes paralyzed. I will, I will dwell in them and walk in, in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because of what he just said, come out from among them. And that's actually a command that we are to do something. See, God doesn't come down and force us to do anything. Even though the command is there, there, there is something that must occur in our hearts within us that there is a turning away or a movement in our spirit away from that which other people are walking in or living in. That, that must happen with us to some degree. The Lord will work with us to get us to to do that. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And and again, that touching there is a touching of the heart. It's not necessarily, it can be a touching, you know, with the physical hand and body, of course, uh, sexual immorality. But I would have to say mainly that touching is a spiritual thing, an inward thing. Where our hearts go out to something or to someone in an, in an incorrect way. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and so forth. When he says, I will dwell in them and come out, the reason he says that, I believe, is because he just doesn't want to separate us. It's not like some people say when, when they're first shared, you share the gospel with them, they say, Well, I don't really want to do that because I won't be able to do this now, I won't be able to go to the bars, I won't be able to do this, and I won't be able to do that. And that's all they see, you know, what I won't be able to do. And they never see what grace is bringing. They never understand that the purpose behind this is to bring them into fullness. And so they go their own way. Um, Let me just read this verse. This is from Romans. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. In Romans it says, but you are not living the life of the flesh, you are living the life of the Spirit, if the Holy Spirit of God really dwells within you, directs and controls you. So he's talking about you know dwelling in this place, not in the flesh, but living this life in the Spirit as the Holy Spirit directs. Now in just one verse here, then we'll come back to this portion of Scripture. In verse 17 of chapter 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Initially, there is no indwelling except through faith. We have to have faith in God. So he said, he's, he's writing to Christians, so he's not necessarily talking about that. Maybe he's talking about, this continual abiding that Jesus was talking about that will require faith from the individual to continue in that abiding. Because, you know, we can abide in Christ, and I'm not just talking about being in Christ, but I'm talking about abiding there, Uh, we're, we're living there in Him, until maybe something comes And we kind of really back off and we say, I'm not too sure I want to go here. I want to go any further here in this. And so he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Maybe as Paul says in another epistle, he says that he prayed for them. He says, until Christ be formed in you again, until he's formed in you. And that will require in us personally you know, working out our own salvation. That will require uh, a walking with him in things that we like and things that we may not like or aren't too keen about. So there, there's going to be faith required in this. It's funny, Paul does not uh, pray for Christ to visit, but for Christ to indwell, I thought it was interesting. So hold your place there and just go to uh, Revelation for a second. Revelation 3. Revelation 3 very familiar scripture here. Verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. And this is used by many people uh, referring to initial salvation. And of course there that's true. Jesus does stand at the door and knock upon the hearts of men. But John was inspired to write this to the church, those who were saved. They weren't you know, unsaved, they were saved. And so the Lord is saying here, I stand at the door and knock. So what is going to open the door to the Lord as far as the church goes? You know, to bring him in, well, it's going to take faith or you could say it's going to take an agreement with the Lord in what he's saying or what he's bringing or, or whatever. And the, the faith there unlocks this door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, see, the Lord's not forcing any doors open. Uh, he, he opens doors, Yes. Uh, but in this instance, he stands there and he waits for a response. The Lord will come. You will find this in your life. He will come to you in some way for a reason. And he will see if you are willing to open the door and let him in. I'm not talking about salvation now. I'm talking about his personal will for you. Are are you going to be willing to open the door? Okay. If we open the door, then we have fellowship. We have, he sups with us. We have feeding. We have companionship. There's things that occur when we open the door. But if we don't open the door in whatever that may be, then you can say the opposite. In the negative, he will not come in. He will not dine and he will not be with you in whatever that is. So it's going to require faith in him. You're going to find this out at certain points in your Christian walk. You are going to be facing certain things and it's going to be, Lord, what am I going to do? Am I going to have faith in this world? Am I going to have faith in my ability to do whatever? Am I going to have faith? Faith in someone else? Am I going to have faith in my resources? So, you know, we can have faith in a lot of different things. But we will find out that we will not progress, we will not move toward any more fullness unless we have faith to open up the door and let him come in. Because once we do that, it's... This, this door is open now, and the Lord comes, and he brings his richness. And if we're ever going to have any fullness, if we're ever going to have richness, the only way we're going to get it is with him. We must have this connection. We must be yoked with him in a way where this richness or this fullness is coming toward us and into us. Now, I believe that's a lifelong process there. You know, so we've all come a ways from from initial salvation. We've come a ways, but yet there is so much more for all of us. Now, in John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone, anyone, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word. So, of course, the word love is is agape. So you could say, if anyone truly says that they love me, or anyone truly says that they are dedicated to me, that one will keep my word. Well, what word is that? Well, whatever he is bringing to you personally. That will require something. It will require faith. Many times to keep that. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So there is the picture here is the the Lord is desiring. We know this. He's desiring for us to be keepers, not hearers, but hearers and keepers. See, So we're going to say we love the Lord. It really doesn't matter what we say. The Lord looks at our hearts and he knows. Maybe we have really loved the Lord in many different ways and in many different things as far as his word. But maybe now he comes with something that's even more difficult than ever before. And, you know, the Lord tests us. He tests our faith. So he brings that word and, okay, now am I going to keep that? Well, I want to maybe. But I find that in my heart, there's this division. I want to keep it, but yet I don't want to keep it. I want to keep it, but I know that there's going to be some consequences, if you know what I'm saying, to keeping it as far as me personally. So now, there, there must be, by the Spirit of God, a redirection into his word, to what he is wanting and desiring for us. So if anyone loves me, and, you know, you hear this all the time. People say, oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. It doesn't matter what they say. They may love the Lord. I know what they're saying. But Jesus Jesus said, well, first of all, it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what we do. Secondly, it brings this thought into, into the the whole sphere of things that, not all Christians really love God in the manner that he's saying. If you love me, you keep my command, my word. So a person can be a Christian and they can accept Christ and they'll be going to heaven, of course, but yet still not love the Lord in the manner that he talks about. If you love me, you will keep my word. Now, if that occurs, And as I said, that's the desire of God that we would be keepers. If we are keepers, he says, and my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. And I was thinking about this verse this morning and I'm i going to go look because sometimes the English doesn't quite line up (laughs) with what the Greek is. So I says, is it say I will come or we will come? And the, the verb here is a, is a plural. So he's, he's saying now that we, meaning the Father and Jesus, will come and make our abode. And the word abode means home, abiding, dwelling with you. So keeping the word of God has all kinds of ramifications that we don't really think about Some never even consider this, that, okay, we know we're saved, but this connection of us and the Father and Christ will occur as we obey his word, as we keep his word, we become keepers. See, there's something else here that happens. It's not just being a Christian and going to heaven. There is to be this partnership, this coming together, this you know dwelling where there's an intertwining. Now whenever that occurs, that is the, the launching point of fullness. So you can't have fullness in God without some of these other components. You can't be moved into certain character quality. Without this joining. And, and it, this is just not an initial salvation. This is something more. And so the Lord desires us to be keepers. Why? Because He doesn't want us to do other things. Oh, you know, I don't want, like the one individual said, I like going to the bar and, you know, just sitting there with my friends and drinking. I won't be able to go there anymore. Well, Because we can't do certain things, is that the reason why the Lord puts these things in his word? No. We will never know. Christians will never know and see until by faith they take a step. And so you keep his word, and now something happens. We might not even realize it. I mean, it doesn't really matter whether we know it or not. You know, things happen in spirit that they happen. It's just like I was sharing last week, there are certain spiritual laws, certain things occur. We don't even need to see some of them. It's nice to see some of them, but when they occur, there is an effect from that. There will be a result out from that, see. And it doesn't matter whether we understand all that or not, all we need to do is make it very simple, very basic, keep his word. And out from that, the Lord will do what he does. Now let's finish up in Ephesians 3. So as I started at the very beginning, it starts with grace. And then there is this influence upon the heart. And the influence upon the heart by the Lord or by grace will bring about this indwelling or this abode And that will be what will continue on in our life in bringing us on to a a greater fullness. In Ephesians 3, verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Now, I want to just break this down for a second. Now, there's only two places in the New Testament where this mood is, is used. And there's a reason why. This is called an optative mood. And the optative mood is, it's the strongest desire possible for an individual or, or whatever to be brought into something. But the likeliness of that is doubtful. Now, it's only used twice, it's both times in the Ephesians. And the reason why is because it, it was phase, being phased out of the language and it was replaced with another mood, another form. This part here, that he would grant you, I believe, is optative, according to the riches of his glory, that he would grant you to be strengthened. This here, this word strengthened is passive, which means that this is a work of the spirit. You know, you and I can't do this, this strengthening. All we do is we walk with him, we surrender to him, we allow him to have his way. We believe by faith that he's going to you know, work what he's going to work in, in us and on our behalf. But he says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might. The word might is the Greek word dunamis, and it means that you are you're strengthened to perform some action or some task, whatever it may be. That this comes, the strengthening comes by the Spirit to you to do something. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to, uh, to comprehend. Now, the word comprehend does not mean comprehend with your mind. I kind of wish they would have used a different word like apprehend, because it means to possess. It means to, to lay hold on to apprehend something, that you may be able to apprehend with all saints what is the, the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ, to know it, not talk about it, not teach about it, not say it, but to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of of God. So there must be in our lives a walking with Him in the place that He desires. There must be a heart in us that looks to Him and wants Him so that He can come and, and of course, um, keeps His command that brings this intertwining of our lives with him so that in this there can be this fullness of God brought to us. And whatever that means, whatever measure that is. I I don't know, you know, like Charles Hahn taught about um, the spirit of wisdom and holiness and grace and truth and, and so forth. The spirit of it being the fullness of God. I don't know how much of that, what the fullness of God means for you or for me. But I do know this, that it is much, much more than we have at this present time. So the Lord has graced you. He has given to you personally the grace to influence you to walk with Him for the purpose or one of the purposes, that he could take abundance and fullness and bring it into your life. It's not just about living, accepting Christ, and going to heaven, but it is about being brought into a greater fullness than we have at this particular time. Jesus has come rivers of living water.